Go with me to Luke 15. We've been talking about releasing the inheritance. And I mentioned briefly about Luke last week. And I want to give a little more clarity now. Because I want you to understand the depth of God's love. And how he leads us individually and as a church. So in Luke 15, we start right off with verse 11. And he said, Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood, both his sons. Not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal or wasteful living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. He would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods. Those are carob pods, by the way, and if you've never seen any. The very thought of a man trying to eat them is unbelievable. But at any rate, he would have eaten and filled himself with carob pods. But no one gave him anything when he came to himself. That's an important verse right there. When he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to eat and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I'll arise, go to my father and will say to him, father... I've sinned against heaven and before you. Now look, he's planning what he's going to do. He's planning his return. He's planning on what he's going to say. He's laying it out because he's so embarrassed about himself. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. When he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this son, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Now the older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things mean. And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I've been serving you. I've been serving you. That's an important statement. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours... <laughs> came who has devoured your livelihood with harlots. You killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. We're dealing with a heart 
of relationships with the Father being restored. The heart of the relationship. There are relationships so-called that some might even wish didn't exist. But the heart of this father was for his sons. And we're going to deal with the reality of the heart of relationship that this father had for his children, both of them. And something that I want you to see and something that's very interesting. If we begin with this father in the very beginning, we find two children with their father. And when you find children with their father, good fathers, because this was a good father. When you find children with a good father, when they are children, that life is filled with love and nurturing. So we, should, we can believe from this scripture that this father had spent time loving his boys and nurturing them. As children, that's what we do. We nurture our children. Our kids program back here is to nurture the children that come to Christ Church. To bring them into a loving atmosphere and help them to understand the love of the Father is being displayed in the hearts of those who are with them and teaching them, as well as they will grasp that same heart is in their parents. And we nurture our children. We nurtured our daughters when they were young. Sometimes that was a challenge. I don't know if you ever ran into a challenge when your children were young, but we did. Many times. But we overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And we, not, we loved not our life to the death, but we loved their life enough not to kill them. Now, some of you may have never had anything like that, but it was an interesting time in our lives raising two girls. And they were only two and a half years apart, and so it was even more interesting. After nurturing them all those years, they suddenly turned into teenagers. And I found out what grace really was. He let us have them for 12 years before this disaster struck. And here this father now, he's a father who has two teenage sons. I can't imagine. Yes, I can. Because we raised two teenage daughters. And they knew how to fight each other. They'd fight and we didn't even know it. We didn't know it until they're adults with their own kids and they'd start talking and laughing about what they used to do. And I'd look at her and I didn't know anything about it. But a father with teenagers, it's a whole different realm than a father with children. A father with children nurtures, but a father with teenagers mentors. A good father. He loves them, but he mentors them. Now in an agricultural community, mentoring boys means they're going to the field to work. They're going to learn what a hoe is. They're going to learn what a shovel is. They're going to know how to use them. They're going to find out they fit their hand. They're going to find out what a, a 
Ph.D. is. It's a post hole digger. And they're going to be mentored in the art of and act of work and how you do this and how you take care of the farm and how you take care of everything around the farm because that's where they were. They had to learn and they were going to be mentored by their father. The father, who is a good father, mentors his teenage children. It's a part of the process. It's a necessity for their lives. It means that in mentoring, they have to learn discipline. Of course, they learn some discipline as a child. My girls learn discipline as little girls. And they learn discipline in a different measure when they became teenagers. Now, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have anything like that. So grounding them was a whole different proposition in those days than there are now. But we had to deal with the issues. We had to mentor them in the attitudes of life. How you live this life. My mother with my dad, mentored my sisters. I had three sisters. I was the only boy. And mom mentored my sisters on all the various facts of life. They, she didn't tell them about birds and bees because we knew that bees sting and birds do what they do because we'd have to wipe it off the car and the windows and we'd have to clean up around all the time. So we didn't talk about birds and bees. Mom mentored them and other things how to keep themselves right, how to keep themselves pure, how the dating process was going to work, what was going to happen. Now, Dad, on the other hand, he mentored them to say, I'll kill them and tell God they died. So watch who you mess with. And once in a while, a guy would show up and he would leave quick because my dad was mentoring in that manner. I didn't have that much mentoring, really. I did learn how to work. I learned how to work because every day I'd get home from school, there'd be a list laying on the table of chores to do. And when I got old enough and I had a job after school, I'd go to the job after school, then I'd come home and the list was still there. The list never stopped being there. One Monday... I got home after work, which so has about six o'clock, and I had a two-page list. Now I'm being mentored, remember? All I got is the list. Do this, 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 this. So I went after it, and I got done. I think I finished up somewhere around 11. Dad was on second shift, so he didn't know anything about it, and I got done, and I finally went to bed, and I got up the next day. And, of course, interesting thing is, is there was no list the rest of the week on the table when I came home, which I was quite glad for. So we got to the weekend. This is mentoring, okay? This is mentoring in the not-so-plus side. So when we got to the weekend, and my dad was home on Saturday morning, he said something about the list, and I said, well, you know, I got it all done. He said, son, that was for all week. I said, it'd been nice if you'd written that on the list. It would have been very nice. See, because in not communicating that, my mind said, I got to get all this done now 
or I'm not going to measure up and I'm going to be in trouble and I'm going to have a problem because he could cut off my ability to work at, at my own job. You understand what I'm saying? Now think about this from the nature of the Father God and how we think. Then think about this from the nature of this Father. But Dad, I've never transgressed your commandments. I've been there the whole time. You never gave me a fatted calf. I never messed with anything. I was faithful to you. Think about it. So he's nurturing and then he's mentoring his sons. But then we go on to read, and in fact, the very first right out of the chute, we find out what it was like to have grown sons. Now, some of you have, have grown sons. And some of your grown sons were grown sons before they were grown sons. And if you didn't believe it, ask them. Any of you that was sons can tell me that your son was grown before he was because he thought he was. I thought I was. You probably thought you were. And yet we were being mentored and we didn't realize that the mentoring we were being mentored in was a relationship issue that would bring great victory to us if we would understand what it was all about. It wasn't about I was a sweet little servant boy to my father. I had forgotten that I was actually a son. Because I was too busy being a servant. And being a servant, I would not acknowledge even that I was a son. And that bred resentfulness. So being resentful as a teenager... Literally the truth. I would stay longer in the cornfield. Or whatever other chore it was. Because I mean after all I'm a servant. I'm, I just you know. That's expected. So relationships suffered. Because I didn't understand the term mentor. And my dad didn't understand how to mentor. And so we were at odds most of my. Well all of my teenage life. And a good part of my adult life. Because I didn't understand, and he didn't understand, and his dad didn't understand. Because his dad was sent out of the house at nine years old to go work in a coal mine and live for himself. See, hurt always breeds hurt and always passes on down until somebody along the way says, it's going to stop. Right? So here we are. We've got this dad, two sons, the other men. When, when sons become men, the relationship changes. Love is still the premier issue, but release is the method. See, as babies, nurturing is the method, but love's the premier issue. When teenagers are growing up and they're there, love is still the premier issue, but mentoring is the tool to use to do it. That's what the Father does. Our Father God loves us. And when we come to Him as newborn babes, He 
loves us and nurtures us in the things of the Spirit. He nurtures us through his word. Paul actually called it one time the milk, sincere milk of the word. He makes sure that what we receive is palatable. We can eat it and enjoy it. And in the process of that nurturing, we're able to grow. Now, the neat thing about God is we don't stay nurturing children very long if we're hungry for him. And we grow a whole lot faster in the spirit realm than we do in the natural realm. So when we're listening to the Holy Father, when we're listening to what he wants to do, when we're listening to the messages he's bringing to us, when we've, in, we've put ourselves in the midst of him and we're looking at him as our mentor, how do I do that? I look at what he says. How did he say I should do this? How did he tell me that I should get these things right? What did he say I should do? First believe. And he, he laid down all the men Jesus said. In essence, I'm mentoring you for the Father. Because you see, I don't say anything that I don't hear the Father say. And I don't do anything that I haven't seen the Father already doing. So Philip says, well, show us the Father. And Jesus said, well, have I been this long with you and you still don't know who I am? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he declared to him his position as the father's son being so closely knit that he was one with the father. So I don't do anything I don't see him do. I don't say anything I don't hear him say. I operate in the realm of my father's power, love, and care. Therefore, I'm the word. That's why I am the word. If the father's going to speak, He's doing it because I'm the word. He's speaking through me. So I am the word that you look at when you call it the Bible. Jesus, I am. When he said before Abraham was, I am. He said, I am the word that Abraham received before he received the word. I am the word of life that you receive before somebody speaks to your heart and you receive it. Jesus has already looked at you and said, I'm going to reach into his heart today. I'm going to speak a word fitly spoken to strengthen his life. Before he ever says it, he's determined it and he's doing it. Why? Because he's mentoring us. But now we become full-grown sons. And then it's time to release the inheritance. Now, we can extrapolate out of this story. We can realize that this younger son knew there was money coming to him. He knew he had possessions coming. So somewhere along the way, they had to have talked about it, right? They had to have had a discussion about it. Prior to him becoming a full-grown son, there had to be some mention, some talk, some one way or another that made him understand and realize, I've got something coming. So when it came time, the problem was not that he didn't know. The problem was he didn't know what to do with it, even how to receive it. So in, in, in our case here at our church, we want to know from God how to release the inheritance of the authority of the Holy Spirit 
into every person in this house as you grow and mature and have the ability to utilize it properly and work with it according to the word of God. And some grow faster than others and some receive that anointing quicker than others and, and some take a long time. For whatever the reason, whether you think you're worthy, not worthy, whatever the reason might be, God moves on each one of his children independently because he knows your heart better than you know your heart and certainly better than we know your heart. Because the Bible says the heart's deceitfully wicked. Who even can know it? But then God turns around and says, but I try the reins of the heart. I, I know what your heart's about. I know what's going on. I know what I can release into your hand that you will be legitimately careful for or caring for, that you will legitimately walk in it and steward over it. Because the father who releases the inheritance without knowing his children know how to steward the inheritance gives the problem to the kid rather than a release of benefit and authority to the kid. So it took this riotous, wasteful living son to go out and blow everything before he could wake up to the value that actually existed back at the father's house. Now, if you don't know anything about pigs, you don't understand the depth of how this story really is. Because anybody that's been in a pig pen more than an hour smell like pigs all the way down the road and it doesn't change overnight. And some of you have heard me preach about this before. But this son came to himself, realized, wait a minute. My dad still got more. He still got servants. He still got provision. He still got everything I need. I will submit, I will humble myself and I will present myself to him as one who is no, not worth being a son, and I'll ask him for mercy and make me a servant. So here he comes. He comes trudging down the road. Now I want you to go to Jeremiah 31. I want you to see something wonderful. And verse 16. And we'll go back to Luke, but you won't have to. Thus says the Lord. I want you to think about the father we just talked about with the prodigal, okay? Thus says the Lord, refrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears. For your work shall be rewarded, says the Lord. And they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope in your future, says the Lord that your children shall come back to their own border. Now, isn't that a phenomenal verse? For any parent who has had a wayward child, that verse right there can set you free if you will claim it and begin to believe it. Because he says, I, I'm telling you, you can quit weeping, you can quit crying, you can come before the Lord, you can believe with all your heart because I'm going to bring them back to you. And Malachi, he says it this way, Malachi 4, most of you know it, it's the last verse of the Old Testament. 
And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Anybody know who the he is he's talking about? You go back a few verses, we won't do that. But you, He says, in the last day, I'll send my servant Elijah. And he will. And this is one of the he wills. God's promise is that your children are going to come back because the anointing of Elijah will be resting on this earth. And he's going to cause your children to come home. He's going to cause your children to line up with his will. He's going to cause the father's heart to love his kids again. The father has said, well, I don't even have a son anymore. Yeah, you do. He may have been a dummy, but he's still your son. And he still got your name. And he will have it all the time and God says I'm going to turn your heart back to them and you will love them and you will regard them as your own so he gives a two way command really he says the children are going to have to do this and you parents are going to have to do it too we've got to align ourselves to realize that in Christ church there are sons and daughters who were a part of this church who have gone off doing who knows what and have always been supposed to be a part of this house. And they're going to come back. But are you who have been here any length of time ready to receive them when they do? Are you ready to love them when they come through the door? Now let's look at what this dad did. He sees this kid afar off. I mean he's a grown man but you know what I mean. If you happen to be 50 to some of us you're still a kid. So here he is, he sees him afar off, and he realizes, I know that walk. Even though the kid was a mess, filthy, dirty, probably slumped over, hungry, possibly even having a difficult time walking. But he knew him, and he knew him afar off. The same God that says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, give me that walk. I'll be with you, knows everywhere you are when you're there. He knew how you got there because he was with you trying to talk you out of it. Now, I know this to be a fact. As I sat in a bar in Springfield, Illinois one time with my wife at home praying. This was in our early years, very, very, very early years. And Holy Spirit said, what are we doing here? Audible voice. And I had a, so it sounds better. It was the motel lounge. Doesn't that sound better? And it was an old band. They weren't any good, but they were even worse when Holy Spirit said that. And this old band was singing, what a friend we have in Jesus. I'm as serious as a day alone. This happened at the Capitol Hotel downtown Springfield, Illinois. And eight of us were there at a big round table. And when I heard Holy Spirit say, what are we doing here? I looked around. There wasn't nobody paying attention to me. They were all talking to one another. So I knew it wasn't none of them. And I 
rush of his love took hold of my heart and tears began to flow. And to cover it up, I said, I got to get out of here. This band's terrible. And they were. I didn't lie about that. And they all agreed, we got to get out of here. So we went back to the military base and we straightened up, or I straightened up my act and said, God, I'm sorry. This son comes in. His, his dad sees him. He runs and he grabs him and he hugs him and he kisses him. Now, if you never got pig mud in your mouth, you know he wouldn't have kissed him just knowing it. But he kisses him. Falls on his neck and loves him. Doesn't care about the smell. In fact, so much so that he hollers at a servant to bring the best robe. Now, in case you didn't know it, robes in those days, they had anointing oil on them. They all smelled good. And when he covered him with that robe, he covered the odor of this life. He covered up the, the visual image of him covered and caked in pig mud. He covered it up so it wouldn't be smelled by anybody else at home before he ever got home. He threw it on him and he covered him and he covered him and he wrapped him and he protected him because love covers a multitude of sin. God covers our nonsense when we don't even deserve it because we never do deserve it. But his love, see the father's love. And so he covers him, and if that isn't sufficient, he tells the servant, bring out the ring, the ring. That's not just any ring. That's a signet ring with a family crest that restores the authority, every bit of authority he ever had as a son was in a moment's time restored. All he had had the chance to do was repent. They didn't have the baptism yet because they hadn't got him to the water trough. That came later. But the minute he repented, the, actually before, the father had already determined. He knew he was coming down a road. This is what we're going to do. He knows your kids are coming down a road and he's already made preparation. Are you ready to receive them with a robe of righteousness and a ring of authority and restore whatever that wayward child has been into? Bring them back to the fold and bring them in in Jesus' name. Because immediately when this was done, see, the minute he gave him the signet ring, he determined to let everybody know this is my son. And he has the full rights of my house. My property, my belongings, everything I have. He has the right to utilize every bit of it. He's the one. Now the other one's still out there in the field. He comes in. And all he can do is talk about how he's a servant. Now he's not repenting about anything. He's mad. Of course, I'm sure none of you ever got, if you've got siblings, ever got mad at them. But I can honestly tell you as a teenage boy with three teenage sisters, I got livid more than once and had to have deliverance. 
And at that time, Deliverance was a 55 Plymouth and heading down the road. But it was deliverance for me. But all I thought about was I'm just a servant. Never understood the value of the son. This father let this boy know that came in from the field. I've always loved you. Everything has always been yours. Yeah, you've done everything you said you, you did. You've been faithful. <coughs> you've been in the field and you've done what you're supposed to do and you've been faithful to everything you have declared. You have. And I've loved you. But something you forgot about. Look around you. That field's your field. The cattle over here are your cattle. The goats over here, they're all your goats. You could have had a party any time. In fact, the dad would have thrown him a party if he had asked, but he didn't ask. See, you have not because you. If you don't ask, Father's waiting on, I believe Father's waiting on a lot of people in his church to just ask. Let's have a party. I honestly thought about ordering some pizzas and having them sent over tonight, but I didn't do it. Because you all have already determined that this is a new year and you're not going to eat trash like that. So I didn't bring any pizza. <laughs> but this father said, we are going to celebrate your brother. Because he was dead and now he's alive. And you need to come celebrate with us. Right now, God is moving in this country. Actually, around the world, it's phenomenal what God's doing. I've got a friend who keeps sharing a pictures from Uganda. Phenomenal move of God in Uganda. Another one from the Philippines. Thousands of people along the coast being baptized, repenting and being baptized in the Philippines as God's moving. we got people like Sean Fout doing ministry. Mario's out there in California. Thousands of people are showing up every service. Asbury, it reported that they canceled it, but the report was a lie. The president simply set some order and things to help the kids and to help the school and to help the community because people were flooding in so much that they couldn't handle it all at all, and it was becoming a danger. He wasn't trying to stop the Holy Spirit. He was trying to bring order, proper order that would allow the Holy Spirit to move even greater. I mean, I, I, I saw one guy that I know, he posted, I'm back from Asbury and I'm a Asbury super spreader. And I thought, I'm glad I'm not near you right now. Because all he did was validate ignorance, gone to seed and produced a crop. But then another one and another. We got, 
to Asbury, and this is what happened, and now great revival's coming to our church. Well, I hope it does, but going to Asbury is not the reason it will. Not that there's anything wrong with Asbury, but if you recall, as some of you will, when the revival broke out at Brownsville in Pensacola, people ran as fast as they could run to get to Brownsville. I never went to Brownsville. And we still had people falling on the floor laughing at our church over in Illinois. We didn't have to go to Brownsville to see it happen. We had to realize this same spirit that is in Brownsville right now is the same spirit that's in our church over here. And all we got to do is acknowledge it and begin to let the spirit move. This same spirit that's bringing young people to repentance and bringing young people in tears to restoration bringing young people back to loving their parents, bringing young people and bringing deliverance to their lives. I mean, there's actually devils leaving these kids in that building and they're loving on one another. And somebody said, well, but they don't have any leadership. Well, what do you think is that college? Of course they have leadership and they have very wise leadership. But the leadership doesn't have to stand up there and preach a one-hour message when he can tell in five minutes this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel, which you'll find in Acts 2, by the way. We're, we're going there right now. <coughs> and he said what would happen. Acts 2, verse 16, this is spoken by the prophet Joel. This is Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy at Christ church. Young men shall see vision. We're talking godly visions, not pipe dreams. We're talking Holy Spirit revelation through an open window into what God wants to do. And God says, your young men are going to do these things and your old men shall dream dreams. I'm praying for a new vision. So I won't be dreaming dreams. I'm going to still be young. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. What? Prophesy. Forth tell to the people around them. They shall see somebody that they know and prophesy or declare the word of the Lord to that individual. And that individual is going to know, wow, they're going to have words of knowledge and they're going to give them and that individual go, how did you know that? I didn't, but God did. And he loves you. He wants you whole. He wants you saved. He wants you free. And they're going to do that. And they are doing that in all of these meetings. Texas A&M started this past week. Baylor University, all student led, all student organized. All the kids got together and they began to pray. They said, we want revival. Today, I spent most of the day watching Passion 23 in Dallas. And if you YouTube, you ought to go there. Wow, what's some, some of the stuff. Now, at, at Passion, they had preachers, good ones. 
Lou Giglio. I don't know if you've ever heard Jackie Perry, but if you haven't, you need to. This young lady is a delivered homosexual, but she is one of the most dynamic, down-to-the-wire, line-upon-line, word-upon-word, precept-upon-precept young ladies in her 30s. Preached one of the most Wonderful messages on encouragement. But the neat thing about it is that whole big auditorium was filled with young people. Passionately seeking Jesus. With their hands outstretched, their eyes watered in prayer. Loving God, letting God love them. And I mean by the tens of thousands they were in there rejoicing in the glory of God. And they sat attentively. Don't tell me you can't really preach because they were attentive to every word spoken. I mean, Chris Pratt laid out some tremendous word. God is moving and bringing our kids back. Anybody that wants to tell you, well, we've lost a generation, you rebuke it. Because it's our heritage to rebuke the judgmental lies of the curses that the devil's bringing about against this generation of young people that we are going to have the privilege of seeing come to some mighty wondrous thing. And I'm believing with all my heart right over here across this street that university is going to have a visitation of the power of the Holy Spirit. And I don't care who goes in there and sees it happen. If somebody from another church, that's fine. We're going to see God move in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. Our junior colleges, our colleges, our high schools, our grade schools, our middle schools are going to be filled with God's power and God's presence. And we won't have to worry about idiots that are doing wrong things. God's going to override every last bit of it and show himself as God. This is his generation of people. These are his kids first. He entrusted them to us. We dropped the ball too many times, but we're picking it up now. Because we're at a time where this scripture that Peter quoted out of Joel is going to come to pass in such a tremendous way. I mean, we've been teaching this, Sherry and I, for years. I remember once we were, we had some, some kids in our church. At that time, they were probably five, maybe four, and four and two. And their grandpa was a, a Baptist pastor, one of the larger Baptist churches. So he wasn't happy about them coming to our church because at that time we were a storefront. And you couldn't be a legitimate church in a storefront. At least they thought. But he was carrying the one girl, the older girl. And she said, Papa, what's the matter? And he said, well, I, I, I'm not feeling good. I'm just not feeling good. That child slapped her hand on his forehead and said, well, in Jesus' name, my Papa needs to be healed. Heal him now. Heal him right now. Heal him now in Jesus' name. And you know what God did? He healed him now. That Baptist pastor became a friend of mine. 
and changed his heart about a lot of things quickly. Stayed a Baptist pastor, which I'm glad he did, because he was able to bring some good things into some churches before he went to be with Jesus. But you understand what I mean? Because if we train them up in the way that they should go, when they are old, they won't depart. They might be like the prodigal and be out here being goofy. But they'll realize, wait a minute, I remember when. I remember when. I remember when. And my wife was praying the day I was sitting in that stupid bar. And she was praying at home with two little babies. And I was in National Guard, so I was being an idiot. And she was praying. And she was telling God, God, I know you're bringing him home. But I don't want him like he has been. Let's get this cleaned up. Get him back to the way he was when I married him. Get him back to where we're supposed to be. Get him back to how, how it's supposed to happen. You know what I prayed for, Lord, when I was a little girl? She said it. You know what I asked when I was a little girl and you answered that prayer and gave that very thing to me? Now Satan's trying to steal him and I'm not having it. And the neat thing is that she had my mom helping her. And I never could outrun my mom's prayer. And God said, yeah, I'm answering that. You just watch what I'll do. And he's saying that now to you. If your kids are out there somewhere they shouldn't be, we're going to pray and we're going to believe God to fulfill this word I brought to you tonight. And I mean right away. Right away. Right away. To see them and know they'll call you up and say, Dad, guess what happened? Mom, guess what happened? You know I've been kind of, guess what happened tonight? When our precious Josh Christmas, his daddy said, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what to do. And I told him, I said, just wait. Kent, God's got him. God's going to take care of it. And when he does, you send him to us. It wasn't very long. He called. Josh called me. In his apartment, getting ready to leave to go to the clubs. God got a hold of him. And right there in that apartment, transformed his life. And well, then why did they have to send him to us? Because he had to learn how to live as a man. He had to be taught. He had to be nurtured. He had to be mentored all at one time. He had to come into a place where brotherly love would be revealed and he could understand how we could talk about brotherly love and not have sexual ideas in the process. He had to learn. He had to be mentored. He had to be taught. He had to be loved. He had to find out what it was like to have a brotherly hug and not think badly in the process. He was delivered. But let me tell you, you're delivered, but that don't mean the devil's going to leave you alone. And God brought him through every bit of it. And I was thrilled to see him marry our niece and how precious they are were. That's what God does. 
So if you're worried about your kids, hang on. I teach people all over the place. God does this. God knows those that are his. And he's going to bring them home. And he's going to bring them back. And he's going to bring them into victory. And Paul said this in First um, Corinthians. I don't think I gave you this verse, so don't worry about it. First Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 14. I'll just read it to you. Paul said, I don't write these things to shame you. He's talking about what he had, had to get on to him about. But as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. Now, Paul had been the one who planted the churches in Corinth so he could make that statement. You see, I haven't begotten any of you, but Pastor Zach has. Pastor Zach has led many of you into the presence of the Lord and helped you to see the goodness of God. He has waded through a lot of junk over the years to see victory come to the lives of many of you. Some of you, he was in the hospital when you were born and now you're grown with children of your own and he's loved you as a father. You might have a lot of instructors, but you don't have many fathers. He lets me operate in a fatherly manner. And that is by his grace and design. And I am forever subject to him as my pastor. Even though he subjects him to, to me, himself to me in the things of the scripture. It's a wonderful relationship. We see the glory of God. And it's getting even stronger. What God is doing in this house, even through Chad now that he's with us, you're going to be so excited. You ought to be already so excited. My goodness, when he and I, Chad and I get to sit down on a weekly basis, the conversations are phenomenal. That young man came back from Atlanta with so much wisdom. I'm telling you, I'm thrilled. I'm excited. And what is happening in this house, and you're going to see it more and more each Sunday as it progresses, is phenomenal, and it is the glory of God, and the kingdom of God is manifested in this place in great ways. Can you stand with me? And the promises of God are yes. And amen, so be it, Lord, to all of us. Whatever else is going on, God is faithful. When we're not, he is. When we mess up, he's still faithful. He brings our kids back, doesn't he? He brings our children back to us. Whatever else is going on, God says, I'll bring them. You just trust me. When we had differences of opinion of our adult children we believe we had to stand and believe God that God would take care of that and heal those relationships and he does he does you can trust him 
Want als je erbij heet, dan klap je je huis weer. We're releasing the inheritance. In fact, in many of you right now, you can receive that inheritance of the Spirit. That is part of Christ's church. And all you have to do is just say, Lord, I receive. I believe I receive what you have for me as a part of this house. I believe I receive what you want to do in and through me as a part of Christ church. I believe and I receive your inheritance that you deliver to me. Now, anybody who has children that you just need some agreement real quick, you can continue to bow your head for a minute. If you'll just lift your hand, we're going to agree with you. You don't have to come up. We're just going to agree with you. We got hands all over the place. We're going to agree. Folks, you going to agree with me? I mean, these are serious matters. They really are. It, it, it's, I couldn't imagine being estranged from my children. So we don't need you to be either. So I want you to agree. If you agree with me while I'm praying, I want you to say, I agree. Uh, you ain't yet because I ain't said anything. Listen carefully. This is important. Jesus, I thank you for your promise that you gave us through your word tonight. And I, with all my heart, believe you're going to honor your word with signs following. So I tell each of these children that are represented by these hands that are up that before we even enter into March, you will have them reconnect in some way with these who have their hands up and that you will move on them mightily to draw them back into relationship and that you will heal the hearts of these parents that they will equally be ready like the prodigal's dad to love them, to receive them, to not have to go through a big explanation, but to just say, I'm so glad you're back. And share that love. If you agree, say so. Now I'm commanding in Jesus' name those children to begin to turn their hearts. You know who they are, Lord, because you see the hand. To turn their hearts back to their parents and to see your victory mightily move. Amen. Amen. Don't forget your offerings. Uh, can we get some guys at the doors with buckets so we can have a place to put the offering? Listen. I've seen what I just said happen. I was at a house where was with a woman whose daughter had just been murdered by her boyfriend. And she didn't know where her son was because he was somewhere out on the East Coast running drugs. And I prayed with that lady in Jesus' name. And within an hour, that guy called home. Wanted to know what on earth is going on, Mom. I'm on my way. I'm, I just, I've left Miami. I'm up somewhere up in on the East Coast. He said, I'm headed to New York. My car's full of drugs, but what in the world is going on? 
And she told him, he said, I'll be there. He didn't bother delivering. He made a left turn, got on the interstate, and headed to southern Illinois and was there rapidly. And somehow God opened up the door for him to get there without getting stopped speeding. And he got there to be with his mom, to help his mom with his sister's death, to pay the bill out of the drug money. The wealth of the wicked laid up for the righteous. And be there with it. And God turned it all around. Ray went back. Got caught. Went to prison. Gave his heart to the Lord. Started preaching in prison. And God transformed him. But he did what God said. Prayed for a girl one day down here at Huddle House. She did her countenance had fallen. What's the matter? I'm oh, my brother. We're so afraid we can't find him. I said, well, let's pray. So pastor and I, we prayed for her. We come back the next day or two. Well, what happened with your brother? He called. That night he called mom. We hadn't heard from him in she, however long. And he called mom. And he's okay. And we're going to get back together. And we're going to have what we said. Trust him to do what we just prayed and then report to us how it happened. Would you? God bless you.